What's going on, everybody? Elliot Shortparts here, Matt Lombardo at the Novacare Complex. And NFC Championship Week is now upon us. On the last pod, we talked about the opponent briefly. Now it's time to get far more into it. Matt, last time we talked, I strongly said I think the Eagles are going to win. You said that thought, you thought they were going to win too, but you were still kind of deciding a little bit. So now that we're two days from finding out the opponent, before we get into everything, we have a bunch of things to talk about. Just real quick, are you how are you feeling a few days out? Yep, my prediction at the time was a 12 to 10 Eagles win and them appearing in Super Bowl 52. My pick hasn't changed. My pick won't change, right. barring some sort of catastrophe to either side when it comes to injury during the course of the week. I think they win the game. I just think it's going to be a lot closer than maybe you think it is going in. So we have a few house cleaning uh, house cleaning things to take care of before we get into it. Um, today is our hot take pod, so we have a lot of your guys' reaction, a lot of tweets, emails that you sent us both after the Falcons game and also since they found out it's the Vikings. So lots of different things to get into, but um, on the last podcast, I said we were going to have a bunch of content for you this week. Now we have that a little more hammered out. So Matt, I know you're going to do an uh, interview with a Vikings writer, right? Yep. We have that coming up for you with Arif Hassan. He covers the Vikings. He's there every day. He's in that building. So we'll pick his brain about how he thinks this matchup is going to play out and what the Eagles can possibly exploit against the Falcons, excuse me, against the Vikings. We'll have that podcast up for you Wednesday afternoon. So that'll be up Wednesday, and then Friday we'll have our per- position-by-position breakdown of the game with our final score prediction. So one way to make sure you get those as soon as possible is to subscribe. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, that means you need to go subscribe. We appreciate you listening, but if you subscribe via iTunes, Spreaker, Google Play, we're there. And Matt, I remember when Joe Giglio was still here, he set the goal of 500 likes by the playoffs. Well, that did, I mean, not likes, 500 reviews. Eagles are still alive, so we still have a chance. We're at 382, which means we are 118 away yep. from hitting our goal. I think we can do it this week. And I we think should so definitely too. do it if they make the, if they end up making it to the Super Bowl. So if you're listening, we've been getting a lot of really good reviews lately. We appreciate everyone that does it. Love reading them. Please take a second and leave a review. It really would mean a lot to us. We love the five-star reviews, and we love constructive feedback. So yep, The feedback helps us make the show better, point out what you guys want to hear in the five-star mm-hmm. reviews, really help us get those high-caliber guests that you want to hear leading up to big games like this and maybe even the Super Bowl. So now that we have that out of the way, it's time to get into Hot Take Tuesday. Let's start. Um, I know we got a few about the Falcons. Yep. So why don't we start with the uh, the ones that we got about the Falcons game? Because now we both had a chance to watch it a few more times. And I will say my opinion of that performance overall has changed the more I watch it. There you go. Uh, at G Summers 75 checks in. The Eagles honestly didn't play too great, especially in the first half. Can't have tur- two turnovers. Offensive play calling near the goal line wasn't good enough. Defense played well, but need to clean up the tackling. And in, there are some things I agree with there, Elliot. There are some things that I don't. First of all, thanks to G Summers 75 for the, the question and the comment. Um, my biggest key is going into this game. We talked about it a little bit on Sunday. Number one, run the ball effectively. Number two, protect the football and they kind of go hand in hand based on what happened on Saturday night when Jay Ajayi fumbled the first uh, offensive sna- second offensive snap of the game his first carry um, it's difficult to win in the postseason when you turn the ball over it's going to be even more difficult to beat a really opportunistic Vikings team that finished number one in the league during the regular season if you give them extra opportunities but if the Eagles protect the football and if Nick Foles plays as well as he did in the second half I don't know about you I think mm-hmm. they win this game by at least seven points so my take on that would be a couple of things. One, so one of the turnovers was the Jay Ajayi fumble. 
he has, according to Pro Football Reference, seven fumbles and 517 carries. Now, I think that's, I believe that's just fumbles like total, not even fumbles lost. So he's not a guy that that puts it on on the ground a ton. Um, so I mean, look, it happened. It can't happen again. You can't fumble the ball. But I don't think a guy is a guy you have to worry about doing that again. And then the other one was a special teams thing where, let's be honest, the ball did take a really weird bounce. I'm not making an excuse, but that wasn't you know a fumble by Kenyon Barner. That wasn't a guy trying to make a play for no reason. That was just kind of bad luck. So um, I think the two turnovers that they did have, I don't think are things you have to worry about against the Vikings. But I think the one that you really maybe needed to be concerned about in terms of taking care of the ball was I think Foles played a lot better when I rewatched it than I did live. Yep. But that throw he made at the end of the first half where he throws it in a triple coverage and it bounces off of the uh, Falcons player knee and into the hands of Torrey Smith, that was a very concerning play because the Eagles were extremely lucky that that pass wasn't picked off. And it was ex- it was concerning for two reasons. One, it was a very poor decision by Foles. I mean, he's throwing into triple coverage there. Two, it was a terrible throw. I mean, it was five five yards over the head of, uh, I believe it was towards Zach Ertz. So I think that was that was not good. But my one takeaway from watching that Falcons game again is I think Foles played a lot better than people get, get, gave him credit for. In the second half, that drive the where half, they moved yeah. down the field 74 yards and he had four passes to Alshon Jeffrey for 46, that was probably his best possession since he's taken over for Nick Foles. And that includes the Giants game because this was a better defense. This was a defense that swarms to the football. Deion Jones mm-hmm. is an elite linebacker in this league and the Eagles were able to move the ball down the field. Um, the, the play calling down near the goal line, I think that – partly had to do with how well the Falcons were playing in terms of goal line defense. But I just Well, but ahead. I think the one thing was Jay Ajayi, which I thought was weird, was not out there at all on goal for line. For about a nine minute span in the Well but I mean on that too. on the touchdown drive where LeGarrette Blunt scored yep. um not just the drive, those plays inside the red yep. the red zone. He, Ajayi wasn't out there at all. Now um Doug was asked about that at his Monday press conference and he said, look, all the running backs know the different plays. It's just a matter of, you know, for for Blunt might be like the top running back for this particular play. And so if that play is called, he'll go out there. Maybe Ajayi just they like Blunt better in the red zone. Um but well, I thought that was thing. a weird part. That that third quarter drive that we've talked about and we both of us have said that's where Nick Foles played some of his best football of the game and maybe since he's been the quarterback for this team they were playing up tempo there and we talked about what they needed to do to get Foles going and one of the things was go up tempo Mm -hmm. and Doug talked about it on Monday that while you said yes he pointed out that every running back knows the entire playbook but there are packages of packages of plays for each back Doug said on Monday that when you go up tempo it's a lot harder to rotate your running backs you know in and out of the game so that could happen again against the Vikings I don't know how you necessarily slow down to make substitutions when you're trying to go up tempo and if I'm the Eagles and I'm trying to neutralize how good especially up front that the Vikings are you go up tempo, almost from Jump Street. You go with a no huddle offense. You move the ball down the field. You don't let them substitute because that's how teams like the Giants and like the Raiders really neutralize the Eagles' ability to substitute up front. Therefore, neutralizing their pass rush is they played up tempo. Nick Foles showed he could do that against Atlanta. I think that might even have a bigger impact against an even better Vikings defense. So I was talking to uh, our old friend Mark Eckel. And he made an interesting point based off that up-tempo. And I know me and you fall on different ends of the Chip Kelly spectrum in terms of you don't think he's a good head coach. I tend to think if, you know, with another chance in the NFL, he might do better. But regardless, the Eagles said leading all, all week leading up to the Falcons game that uh, you know they were going to look at what Nick Foles did well in 2013. 
And Mark brought this up, and I thought it was an interesting point. I'll run it by you. Did you see components of a Chip Kelly offense in that game? I mean, they were doing up-tempo, a lot of run-pass options. Yep. I mean, Doug had certainly his plays sprinkled in. I thought he did a great job. But it is interesting to think that in the Eagles' playoff win, they have a Chip Kelly-type offense being run in terms of the plays. And then, of course, Nick Foles at quarterback. So it just was something I thought of, I mean, that he brought up. I thought yeah, it was an I interesting point. Yeah, I think that, point. you know, it was smart for Frank Reich and John D. Filippo and Doug Peterson to go back and watch that playoff game against the Saints, to go back and watch some of what Nick Foles did well in 2013 when he had 27 touchdowns and two interceptions. Uh, I'm with you. I think the up-tempo really worked. I think that it got Nick Foles into a rhythm, particularly in the second half. And all last week on each of our podcasts, and I wrote about it a couple different times, I said, move Nelson Aguilar around, right? Utilize his speed in space. Get the ball in his hands in space where that speed can matter. And one of the games that turned that game on its ear one of the plays was that end around where mm-hmm. they faked the pitch to Jay Ajayi, handed it off to Nelson Aguilar, and he gained, what, 30, 31 yards yeah, down the sideline. Yeah. And that really looked like something that you might have seen in a Chip Kelly playbook. I My biggest criticisms of Chip Kelly were the way he related to players, the fact that he never adapted once defensive coordinators caught up to him. And I think that his scheme, while it might be good in pieces of games, I don't think it's sustainable for an entire 16-game schedule. But when they needed to borrow some concepts that Nick Foles was comfortable with, it certainly worked out for them in a big way. So we have another uh, question here from a reader, at MasterJNJ. Um, he said, I'm curious. I understand that you have been saying as to why you wanted the Vikings over the Saints, but I have to ask, am I the only one who fears an extra hungry Vikings coming into Philadelphia looking for that home field advantage for the Super Bowl? So I think that's a fair point and appreciate the question. Um, I do think obviously the Vikings are going to be extra motivated to make it to Minnesota since that's going to be their home stadium. But I think any team that would have come in here is extra motivated. I mean, we're talking about going to the Super Bowl here. The Eagles are going to be very, very motivated wherever that game is being played. Um, And actually, for what it's worth, I think, you know, this is not that this is like an X and O type point, but no team's ever made it to their home stadium in the Super Bowl. So I'm sure the Vikings would be motivated to do that. But if you're looking for like, you know, history or whatever, I do say maybe that's on the Eagles side. So I wouldn't put too much into the fact that the Eagle, that the Vikings are extra hungry coming into Lincoln Financial. Field. No, I, I totally agree. And I think that the nightmare scenario, the doomsday scenario for the Eagles would have been the New Orleans Saints. I mean, we saw on Sunday night, Drew Brees, particularly in the fourth quarter, drove the Saints down the field, got a go-ahead field goal, got a go-ahead touchdown that you thought was going to win the game for them. Um, and then they just left too much time on the clock for Case Keenum, of all people, right. who had that miracle 61-yard pass and catch and run by Stefan Diggs. So I think that playing the Vikings is a much better matchup for the Eagles, but the reason I don't think they blow this team out and I don't think it's going to be um, a one-sided affair on Sunday, this is a really good Viking defense, and we've been talking about it all week. They're very yeah. physical up front, might have one of the top two or three best front sevens, Eric Kendricks on that team. Um, they have a really good defensive end. Xavier Rhodes is a Pro Bowl caliber cornerback. So I think moving the football on this defense is going to be a challenge, but I'll say this. And I think you'd agree with this, Elliot. I don't think that Nick Foles is positioned to win a shootout or a track meet against somebody like Drew Brees, but can eke out an ugly, gritty win against a defense where all it might take is one or two big throws and a solid running game to get the offense going. I agree with that. I agree with that completely. And um, we said it in the the instant reaction pod after we found out it was going to be the Vikings. I mean, when you look at Nick Foles playoff career now, it's two games, no turnovers, two touchdowns, 
Um, I think his passer rating was over 100. So, look, I mean, again, I think Foles played well against the Falcons. He made some big throws. You don't want him to put in a position where you have to win 35-32. But I think Foles is going to play a lot better this Sunday than he did against the Falcons. Um, You know, when, when people talked about why the Falcons beat, beat the Los Angeles Rams, one of the things people mentioned was, well, the Rams rested their starters the week before and they came out a little slow. And you saw that because the game became closer later on. The Eagles had a week off too. And I'm not saying it was rust at the beginning, but they played much better offensively in the second half than they did the first. So it'll be interesting to see if now, I mean, really, when's the last time this team had a regular week of practice? When you consider the fact that the Cowboys game didn't matter, uh, the Vike, the uh, Raiders game, I believe, was on a Monday night, so and that was over Christmas. So they would have been look, before the Giant game, look, right? Before the Giant game, Foles came out and threw four touchdowns. Yep. So I'm not saying that he's going to throw four touchdowns, but this has been an odd couple weeks for the Eagles. And now, I mean, they played on Saturday, so it's a little different. But now they have the closest thing to a regular week of practice, that and that's another had. edge. They have an extra day to prepare for this thing. So the Eagles coaches, Doug Peterson, talked about he watched the game alone in his office, was charting plays and all mm-hmm. of those things. The Eagles coaching staff could get right in do it at like nine o'clock at night on Sunday, start the game plan for the Vikings. Whereas Minnesota, you know, they play on a Sunday. It's one shorter day. They have to travel. That, that's a bit of an edge yeah. um, for the Eagles. And I think that having that extra day matters a lot in the NFL. All right. Yeah. So the next question um, we have, it's from at Steve O'Hara seven. Uh, it says the Vikings choked and they, and they know they choked only saints choked worse. I don't see how Malcolm Jenkins and Greg Goblin. Wait, I don't see Malcolm Jenkins and Greg Goblin cashing into each other like clowns and keeping Eagles out of super bowl hashtag fly Eagles fly. And I think that's, you know, yeah, both teams kind of choked and it was an ugly end to it. Um, I don't think the Vikings defense looked as good in that game as people made it out to be grant. They're playing a better offense than the saints, but I think an important, important point to mention with case Keenum is if they don't have that miracle touchdown at the end, we t- we're talking about Case Keenum a lot different than we are uh, now. I mean, he yep. would have ended that game with no touchdowns, one interception, a crucial interception that turned the game around. Look, he deserves all the credit in the world for getting that touchdown. And if Foles threw it, you know, it would alter my vision of Foles as well. But I do think, like, Case Keenum didn't play that well. No, uh, I agree. I think Foles probably played better. Uh, it's probably close, actually. But, I mean, I don't think Case Keenum played that well against the And I think that Case Keenum is probably a better quarterback than Nick Foles, and he's certainly accomplished more this year. He's been statistically somewhere around the 12th or 13th ranked quarterback in the league. He also played way more. He played way more, exactly. Probably has a little bit better of a supporting cast of wide receiver with Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. But that doesn't mean that Nick Foles can't win a game against Case Keenum. That doesn't mean that you're looking at this matchup and you're saying, okay, just because Case Keenum might be marginally better than Nick Foles, Right. that Foles is some sort of liability. I think that Foles against Keenum is about as equal as it comes. I think these two running games are about as equal as you can get. And the two rushing defenses, what separated them was four yards. Four yards separated the Vikings and the Eagles' rush defenses from being number one versus number two overall in the league. So um, it's, it's going to be tough sledding for both teams. I don't think either offense is going to get their footing. Um, and with that in mind, uh, at MJ Keel 680 checks in on Twitter. He asks, this will be the best defense the Eagles have faced all year. Is this also the best defense the Vikings have played? And just real quick, Elliot, I went back and I looked it up. Um, the toughest defense that the Vikings have faced so far before playing the Eagles was the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers Way back in like week yep, two or three. Are, are they, they're averaging 3.6 yards allowed per game. Eagles are allowing 3.6 yards per game as well. Yards Only per half play. Of, 
Not 306. Yards. Oh, yeah, three, okay, right. Yeah, 306.9 yards per play. Uh, Eagles are a half a yard per game better. So you go back and you look at that game between the Vikings and the Steelers. It was at Heinz Field, so it's a road game similar to this. They had Dalvin Cook. This was They had Dalvin Cook. They also, this was, I believe, Case Keenum's first start because uh-huh. Sam Bradford started the year as the starting quarterback. They lost that game 26-9. Keenum was 20-37, 167 yards. Dalvin Cook, 12 carries, 64 yards. Jarek McKinnon, three catches for 16. And Kyle Rudolph led them in receiving four catches for 45 yards. Didn't light the, didn't set the mm-hmm. world on fire. And, and if I you mean, think back to Nick Foles making his first start, his first start of the year, he throws four touchdowns. Granted, that was against a, a much worse defense. I, I agree. Right. But typically backup quarterbacks, and obviously Keenum went on to have a really good year, tend to have some of their best starts in their yeah, first Yeah, and start. I mean, here's the thing. Keenum had a good year based off the standards of a backup quarterback. I mean, he ended with, what, 20 touchdowns? To yep. like, how I mean, so what did Nick Foles have in the two games he played? If you don't include the Dallas game, even if you include it, five? Five, yeah. So, I mean, if Foles would have played all 16 games or how many Keenum played, he probably would have had 20 touchdowns. I mean, I don't like Foles, but I do think when you I think look it's at- hard to say probably when we, you know what I'm saying? We have we have the sample size for Case Keenum. We don't have it. No, for, I agree. I'm Foles. just saying I think Foles would have been, and I'm not a big Foles guy, sure. but I think Foles would have been a capable of accomplishing yeah, what Keenum I, I don't want to take Let's not act like Keenum came out and threw 40 touchdowns. Right. I, I don't want to take anything away from Keenum because he's 12th in the league in passing yards. Um, his 20 passing touchdowns that you talked about, he winds up, uh, let's see, actually Keenum had 22, which is tied for 12. And in terms of uh, quarterback rating, he finished the year number seven with a 98.3. So he had a very good year, and he's a very competent quarterback. That's where I say that he's probably a better quarterback than Nick Foles. Yeah. But Foles isn't the liability that he would have been having to keep pace with Drew Brees. Absolutely. So now we'll go back to Twitter. Louis G tweeting at me. Is there a specific area the Eagles offense should try to exploit against the Falcons defense? Solid all around, but there has to be something. So what do you think a specific area the Eagles offense should try to exploit against the Vikings defense? I think they can run the ball on the Vikings, to be honest. I I think think uh, that's confidence on your part more than anything. I mean, that's a really, really good Vikings front It is, but the Eagles have the personnel to run the ball. I mean, their offensive line is playing at an absolutely elite level right now. Jay Ajayi is coming off his best game this evening. Best game of the season, even with the uh, uh, the fumble. But I'll also say Trey Wayne's a cornerback. I think out of those two, out of him and Xavier Rhodes, you probably want to attack Trey Wayne's Agreed. more than uh, you want to try to go at Xavier Rhodes. But uh, So I would say running the ball, short, st- uh, short passes over the middle. I don't want to throw it deep. I mean, you saw against the uh, – with the Saints, Drew Brees tried to throw it deep. He had the guy. He underthrew it, which I think Foles might do. Foles doesn't have a super strong arm right now. Those safeties will make you pay. So uh, what do you think? I, I think of- it has to be Zach Ertz. And Ertz had a really quiet game the other night. He had a big catch, and he ended up with three catches for 32 yards. I think he picked up 12 yards on a first down in the second quarter. That kind of kept that drive going where they went down and they kicked a field goal. But – I think you have to get Ertz back involved in this offense. And against Anthony Barr, who albeit is a Pro Bowl tight um, linebacker, the Saints showed you you can exploit the middle of that defense on those short intermediate routes that you just talked about. But when you get Ertz involved, all of a sudden now you can't necessarily shade a safety douche on Jeffrey's side. You can't just play straight up. You have to respect all levels and all aspects of the field. And the Eagles haven't had that. You saw Nick Foles miss Trey Burton on a pass that if Burton caught it, he could have walked into the end zone. You talked about the dangerous throw where he overthrew Ertz by mm-hmm. four or five yards that could have and should have been intercepted the other night. So I think that if 
this offense is really going to get clicking, you have to get Ertz involved because that opens up everything else in the passing game and it kind of, you know, frees up that front seven so you might be able to run on them a little bit because they do have to respect Ertz's receiving option. So another one we have from Twitter, and this is from Matt Wilcox. It says, knowing both are critical, which one is more important for Sunday? Doug's game planning and play calling or a defensive line getting consistent disruptive pressure? Um, I know where I fall on that one. Uh, do you want to take it first? I'll be interested to see. I don't sure. want to give away mine. I-, I think it's generating consistent pressure. Because, right, that's, where I, that's what I was going to say. Because Keenum is a guy, we saw it against the Saints, and you've talked about it throughout the course of the pod, Elliot. He's a guy that will turn it over. And we saw Matt Ryan struggle under pressure the other night, and you saw you know, one of the key turns of events in that game. It was the Eagles getting a three and out at the end of the second quarter, and the Eagles got the ball back, kicked the field goal that gave them some momentum, gave them some life going into half time and then they were three and out afterwards Rodney McLeod on a safety blitz got a critical sack that stopped that drive dead in its tracks so I think that you look at the Eagles defense it's critical that you get to Case Keenum a because sacks can take care of you know any momentum that the Vikings might generate and b Keenum is a guy that could turn the ball over. so just to play devil's advocate the point I would make in terms of Doug is it's going to be harder for the Eagles offense to score against the Vikings defense than it's going to be for this uh, Eagles defense to shut down the Vikings offense. So I think in that regard, you need Doug to come with maybe his best game plan of the season. And yeah, that might only lead to 15 points, you know, 12 points, something like that. But again, you, you can't have Foles start. We got the we got the intro music starting a little early here, but you can't have Foles get out there and have to improvise. If the Eagles score on offense, it's going to be from you know calling the right play in the right situation, recognizing what defensive personnel personnel is out there for the Vikings and taking taking advantage of it. So in that regard, I I think you can make an argument for the offensive game plan just because I think even without pressure, and look, I think the Eagles are going to get pressure. I think it's critical. I'm kind of just playing devil's advocate here. But even without pressure, I don't think that Vikings offense is scary enough where they, they could put up 25-plus points without I agree. pressure. I don't think that they're going to score a lot of points. I really don't. And mm-hmm. I think that the way that they can win the game, if you're the Vikings, is Stefan Diggs has a big play. Jarek McKinnon, you know, turns a screen pass into a 25-yard gain for a touchdown, and you just run the ball up and down on the Eagles, which I don't Mm -hmm. think they're going to be able to do because the Eagles have been really, really good against the run the entire year. So that's one of the big reasons why I'm picking the Eagles to win, but the Vikings have that big play capability, and we'll see how much that's going to matter on Sunday. So one one more from Twitter, unless you have another one, but I think this is a good question. Uh, Joe Newtongrain, sorry if I mispronounced that, Joe. Uh, who's going to be more important versus the Vikings, Aguilar or Jeffrey? And I picked this because I know you wrote a, just wrote a story about Jeffrey yep. in terms of his history against the Bears. So why don't you uh, – not against the Bears, against the Vikings with, with the, the Bears. Bears. Yep. Yeah, no, I think that it's got to be Alshon Jeffrey. And, and, you know, I thought Aguilar had an incredibly impressive game against the Falcons and really impacted that game. But you look at his history, Alshon Jeffries, he has seven touchdowns against the Vikings in his career. And everybody can point to the fact that he played in the NFC North, played them twice a year in that's true, but he only had five touchdowns against the Lions, three against the Packers. So mm-hmm. for whatever reason, he's played really well against the Vikings throughout his career. And last year, he had Matt Barkley as a quarterback in week 17. So you know that that's kind of a wash. You don't have an NFL quarterback, you're going to struggle. When he had Jay Cutler, he had four catches, 63 yards, and a touchdown. And I think that if you get that out of Alshon on Sunday, there's a good chance you're going to win the football game. And I think he has a chance to have the type of performance 
that mirrors what he did with Cutler. And I think that if you involve Jeffrey, just like you involve Ertz, it opens up the whole playbook for you. So and, I go with Alshon. And here. of course, the only way this season can end is with my mentions on fire off of, off of Alshon having like a three touchdown performance <laughs> that's ended up to the Super Bowl. So I agree that he is more important just because I can, I know there's going to be people out there ready and willing to, uh, you know, retweet some of my old Alshon takes. But, all right, I think that's uh, – unless you have another one, I think we're, uh, we'll are we call it on this. Uh, busy week ahead, as I said. Um, we're going to have the uh, the guest pod. I, I don't know if they're going to put that up Wednesday or not. That will be available to you definitely by Thursday morning, if not Wednesday night. And then our preview pod on Friday where we'll give kind of our final breakdown. Uh, we'll have had three days of talking to the locker room and talking to the Eagles. So I'm sure there will be a ton, tons of different nuggets to come out of that. So as I said at the beginning of the podcast, if you're still listening – Look, we're trying to get to 500 reviews. We'd really appreciate it if you guys would take time and do it. Give us those five-star reviews. And throughout the week, you can read all our content on nj.com slash eagles. You can follow us both on Twitter. Just search our our names and we'll come up. So, Matt, I will talk to you on Friday.